Welcome to the Fifth and Goal Podcast. My name is Aaron. I'm joined once again by my good friends, Josh and Johnny. Guys, today we have a very special guest. We are joined by ESPN's Paul Hembakaitis. You might know him as Hembo. He's on ESPN's Get Up. He's on ESPN Radio's Greeny, and he makes a lot of appearances on Buster Olney's podcast, and he's here with us today. Uh, Hembo, thank you so much for joining us. We're, we're so excited to have you on. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, the only thing I'm a little bit disappointed by is during that long like introduction that you prepared, you, you neglected to mention the most important thing about me. Would you mind sharing that with the audience as well? Well, yeah, and I think I know what you're alluding to because the three of us, the normal co-hosts, are all graduates of Cedarville. We graduated in 19, uh, and we've known each other for a long time, but you also graduated from Cedarville and played baseball there. Uh, that's correct, and... Oh, and okay, I know where you're going with this. So right now, I, I did I did some research, not Hembo level research that you would do on one of your shows, but I did enough research to look at the Cedarville baseball record books and to see that your name is still on top. I believe 128 walks. That's still the most in Cedarville baseball history. So that's that's a pretty good mark you've got there. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that I've not already been inducted into the Hall of Athletic Honor. <laughs> I, I I I mean, like I could go without a statue, but I do, I most definitely deserve a a, a plaque. Outside the gymnasium, uh, 128 walks is, I mean, it's comparable to Cal Ripken's consecutive game streak. It's comparable to Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak. Yep. It will never be, it will obviously never be topped. It will remain a school record uh, until the end of time. So like if, <laughs> if I were to die tomorrow, that would wind up on my tombstone, exactly. which I guess goes hmm. to show you what kind of extraordinary legacy I've left behind. Yes. I thought they were building the new, uh, that new uh, athletic center after you, right? That, that was the uh, objective. Everyone's always very jealous of the job that I have. And all mm-hmm. my buddies, I'm always very jealous of how much money they make working in business because I dropped out of business. <laughs> so uh, I guess it's sort of a catch-22. That's great. Well, let's kind of start by talking about that. How did you end up at ESPN? What was that journey like? And you've been there now almost 10 years. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of your journey to ESPN? Yeah. I mean, sort of by chance, I, I ran into a recruiter. Um, uh, from the Stats and Information Group when I was working at LaSalle University. It's in North Philadelphia, near where I grew up. I was just working in the SID office. And I kind of got lucky. I had an interview with the worldwide leader. They liked me enough to give me a job. So I started as like an entry-level researcher in, what was that? I guess the summer of 2014. Um, not long after that, I, I joined Mike and Mike, which was at that time the morning radio show. And I've been with Mike Greenberg, Greeny. You probably know him as um, ever since. I, I was the last researcher on that show. Uh, and I've been on Get Up, which is his morning TV show now, uh, since the day that we launched in April of 2018, I think it was. So um, that's sort of my story in a nutshell. If, if you ask me to describe what I do every day, it would be the kind of thing that if you told me I could when I was 15 years old do, um, I would have, you know, for, peed my pants, you know, for lack of a better expression, because <laughs> I didn't know such a job existed. Like I used to play fantasy baseball religiously. I used to wake up in the mornings and listen to Mike and Mike and, and read the Philadelphia Inquirer sports section cover to cover like that's what I did probably like you guys grew up doing you know to some varying degree so like I had no idea such a you know job existed where you could look up stats and you you, you know they'd be used on tv it's a pretty cool gig I mean I guess the objective or the goal was to you know be the Phillies shortstop um that was not a um despite the fact that I was a uh, prolific walker that was not a (laughs) an option that was presented to me so I sort of settled for the next best option, and that was being a, an ESPN researcher and now an ESPN producer. Awesome. That's that's fantastic. I appreciate you just sharing a little bit about your story. Um, I mean, Mike, as you kind of mentioned, has been kind of one of the staples for us growing up, just 
listening to him on the in the morning, whether on radio or, you know, his TV show with Mike and Mike and then get up, you know, the last few years too has been awesome. And I, I always appreciate having the various personalities and stuff, but just ex- maybe just talk a little bit about what uh, it's like working with Mike. And then maybe if you have even a couple favorite like ESPN analysts or former athletes that you really enjoy working with on the show, maybe even somebody that you uh, enjoy stumping with your trivia <laughs> questions more than some of the others? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, Greeny is a legend. Uh, he he started at ESPN when I was like 10 years old, which I often remind him of. Uh, he does not appreciate that. And now I'm <laughs> sitting, you know, six feet from him. And we do our, our radio show. So like, it's kind of surreal. It, it sort of just becomes yeah. your life. But I mean, I listened to thousands of hours of Mike and Mike. I never would have imagined I would have been involved in that show or this one in any sense. Um, Greeny is as good at what he does as anybody is in our industry. He's the consummate professional. He has taught me an endless amount about um, work ethic and endless amount about how to, uh, you know, siphon information and how to read what people are interested in. He always likes to say uh, he's in the interesting business and it's been a fascinating uh, journey to sort of learn how the general public consumes sports and nobody sort of feeds that better than he does. As far as um, get up itself, I-, I would say, I mean, there are any number of people that I've, that I enjoy working with. So I'll obviously leave out practically everyone. Um, as far as stumping people, Dan Graziano is the person uh, with whom I have a very uh, spirited <laughs> trivia rivalry as we stand today. Uh, I'm up, uh, he's up, excuse right. me, 14 to 12 in our season series. Uh, I, he is on the show tomorrow. And so my objective is to hopefully make it a one point game. Mm. Uh, that's TBD. <laughs> as far as, you know, um, feeding stats or, or conversing with, I mean, Dan Orlovsky is a person that became a star first and foremost on our show. I'm a huge fan of his work. He and I talk weekly, if not daily, especially during the season. Yeah. And he's someone that always amplifies my work on, on Twitter, uh, on the show, any number of places. And that's something that I really appreciate because when you do what I do, um, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people at ESPN that have the kind of job that I do. Um, very few of them are granted this sort of exposure, for lack of a better term, that I am because uh, people buy into the information that I provide them. And there's sort of a payoff on TV or on the radio. And it's kind mm-hmm. of a motivational tactic for lack of a better term, because when you see your work manifest itself on TV every day, it's really rewarding. It's really satisfying. And it's the kind of thing that like, doesn't get old. It's weird. Like I've been at the company for almost 10 years. I remember the very beginning when like Hannah Storm on SportsCenter was reading, you know, uh, a full screen copy that I wrote. Like that's surreal. That's crazy. And then today on get up when Robert Griffin, the third shouted me out because he used a stat that I provided him this morning it was as cool as the first day. It's kind of a weird th- feeling, um, yeah. it's kind of a weird thing, but it's uh, a very satisfying thing. And it's nice that I work um, for a company and for shows that have people that appreciate and value what I do. And I think that's the kind of thing that, that, um, that sort of makes the world go around. Yeah. 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 Just a quick follow-up note on Get Up. One thing that I think has been really cool because I've kind of watched it since you guys started the show is it's just been really cool to see a lot of people um, – not even necessarily just start their career, but like Laura Rutledge, Dan Orlovsky, you know, a bunch of other people who are like coming in, like they were a sideline reporter or doing like some other like career and job options, like really, really well, but coming on to get up and doing such a fantastic job that they're on NFL live now. And they're on like all these big broadcasts. It's been really cool to see. And I'm sure like you are a big part of that too. So that's, that's been really cool to see. I don't know how big a part of it I am. I know that Greeny takes a lot of pride in in sort of getting the most out of people on the air uh, on the show and what it does is sort of demonstrate to other people at the company producers bosses whatever that oh wow this person's 
talented. Maybe they could occupy a role that we didn't otherwise think they could because we see how good they are on that show. They can be that good on this show, et cetera. Or yeah. <laughs> in some cases, another company might poach them away from us um, with, a, with a lucrative paycheck. But that's yeah. good for them too. I think any show like ours that can get the most out of its people is like, you know, the, the like any sports team that succeeds at the highest level. Like think about how the Warriors just won a championship. They don't have the most individually outstanding players in the history of basketball, but collectively what they do is extraordinary. And yeah. I like to think that on get up, what we do collectively um, is as good a job at producing TV as, as any uh, show on the network. One of the things that we've noticed uh, as we have started putting out our own uh, content, either through Twitter or most recently we've gotten random, random hits on TikTok. Uh, we've found different sports fan bases will go off on us at different times for different reasons. And I'm curious what your, in your experience, you know, 10 years doing this stuff, what's been the most vocal fan base uh, that comes up? Yeah. So I don't actually have like a kind of answer to that question that you might want, but I do have, I think an adequate answer that might even be more illustrative of, of what you're getting at here. So what I have found is that, um, any number of NFL fan bases are very territorial um, with sort of a tribal rooting interest of their quarterback. So for example, if I were to put out a negative Lamar Jackson stat, a negative Baker Mayfield stat, and a negative uh, Tua Tungabailoa stat, as if there are any other kind, what you'll find is um, <laughs> there will be a, a dozens, hundreds, thousands of troglodytes that will wind up uh, in my mentions or in the mentions of whomever, you know, stat I gave the, you know, gave to, and they come to the defense of their player, their quarterback. I saw that firsthand as a Philadelphia fan with Carson Wentz, who was great in 2017, was, for lack of a better term, much less than great uh, in all the subsequent years. And um, I'm putting it kindly, I'm not a big Carson Wentz fan, as my timeline might suggest. And, but like what's, what's, what, what happens is uh, fan bases convince themselves that their quarterback is great. And any deviation from that kind of performance is either you're not seeing it right or this is someone else's fault so we'll blame we'll blame the play calling we'll blame the offensive line or we'll blame the the bias of the network or the bias of the reason whatever i would say that from my experience far and away the most criticism that i receive for anything that i post or that i see that we post is like the the, the passionate nfl fan whose quarterback is attacked justly or unjustly and i think you could probably find an example in which almost any of the you know, starting quarterbacks in the NFL, like there are endless examples of that happening too. And so that's not like a, that's not like a one, like a direct answer. Cause it's not like the Dolphins, or the Browns or the Ravens, but like it's all of the above. And I think oh, sure. uh, the same goes for most every team and fan base in the NFL. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, we can kind of relate. We made a video about basically our concerns with what the Bears did in the draft, how we thought they should address the O-line, how they, you know, they should address playmakers and all these things. And we kind of we kind of had some clickbait where we're like, the Bears are ruining Justin Fields. And that's it's probably not that bad. But then all the Bears fans are, you know, wow. are at us. And like, you guys would say the exact same thing. It's just because like what you said, it's not someone in your territory saying it. It's someone on the outside projecting in. So uh, I, I like how you how you put that. There is like a, like a big brother complex that we have. Sure. So like, like obviously 99.9% .9 of the people have never met Justin Fields in their lives, but because he's theirs, all of a sudden they feel like, you know, feel like coming at his defense. The problem is like, you should be able to attack 
the team's drafting strategy or a player's deficiency without it being a personal thing. Like you can, you can have it both ways. Like you can be a great football player with flaws. You can be a great person that isn't perfect. Like we can, we can have nuance here, right? Mm-hmm. My opinion is that Justin Fields is going to get killed this year. He's going to take exactly. 60 sacks. Yep. Like if he's lucky, not more. I mean, if he, if, if Justin Fields starts 17 games, I think he's got a real shot to take four sacks and a quarterback in the season in recorded mm-hmm. history. That's on the list of options. He holds the, uh, onto the football too long. And the Bears offensive line, I think PFF had them ranked 31st in the NFL at last check. So I wouldn't describe what you guys uh, put out there as clickbait by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the ch- the, what I always challenge myself to do is make it obvious that it's not personal. Make it, o- make it obvious that it's objective. Mm-hmm. Make it obvious that it's based in fact. Make it obvious that it's based in educated observation. And so long as you do that, Anyone who sort of comes at the defense of the aggrieved party in this case obviously is not operating in good faith. Yeah, and well, I'm a Bengals it, fan. I'm pretty used to yeah. <laughs> watching my quarterback get killed from behind a bad offensive line. You can speak so from experience. I can yeah. speak from experience. So shifting from the NFL to baseball, we mentioned it in the intro. You're frequently on Buster Olney's baseball podcast. You're a huge Philadelphia Phillies fan. And so one of the things that we've discussed kind of at length on our show is kind of just the state of the game of baseball, because you hear it all the time, right? You hear that baseball's dying. You hear that they need to market better. And in part, I think some of that's true. But I'm curious, from your perspective, where do you see the game of baseball going maybe in the next five years? What are, what's your kind of takeaways, I guess, from that? Yeah, so I could spend hours and hours talking about this, and who knows, maybe we will. But I, I would say that um, uh, fundamentally, baseball's uh, soul, for lack of a better term, right now is kind of up for debate. Like I think it's being sort of wrestled with because you have like a collection of passionate baseball fans that have loved it their whole lives. We can call them the old school crowd that want the game to be the way it was when they were a kid because things were always better when you were younger. There is a collection of younger people who love the stat cast metrics on the broadcast, that love bat flips, that love uh, the City Connect uniforms, whatever, right? And to me, like the push and pull between those sides is a fundamentally good thing. I got, there's no obvious reason to me why those conversations are bad for baseball. What's of more uh, concern to me is, is the product on the field interesting? Is it fun? Is it entertaining? Like baseball, uh, Bill James is a legendary, you know, b- baseball statistician, one of the best known people that, does what I do and is sort of the godfather of my profession. Um, He said something once that I just absolutely love. And he said, uh, baseball is meant to be enjoyed. It serves no other purpose. And there, and I feel like so often now we let stuff get in the way of that. Right. I mean, that doesn't mean, you know, we should be, you know, we should, you know, uh, determine the winner of a game in that training by a home run derby, but it does mean that we should be doing whatever we can to optimize baseball's enjoyment factor. And in my judgment, that means more balls in play. It means a faster paced game, sort of all the obvious stuff that Major League Baseball and its fans have made obvious. We need to go in this direction. So right now it's incumbent upon Rob Manfred and leadership and the Players Association to be able to put their disagreements aside and mutually come to agreements on ways that we can, like objectively, obviously make baseball a better game. The problem is in the latest round of uh, CBA negotiations, it was just so ugly that making, making up that much ground in that respect wasn't really possible. My hope is that over the next few years, we can come to a common ground on things like a pitch clock and things like service time manipulation and any other, uh, any number of other things that I think, you know, everyone within, you know, inside the Overton window can agree would make baseball better so long as we can all agree to it, you know, within, within reason. So that's a long-winded answer. I think baseball's generally speaking in a good position because it's, uh, it's conception is 
perfect. Like baseball fundamentally is the perfect game. It's beautiful. It's simple. It's complicated. It's nuanced. It's delicious in every conceivable way. Um, but right, but like sometimes, sometimes, um, and I think now in some cases, it's easy to sort of sully it. Like right, it's easy to not to ruin the game because I don't think it will ever be ruined. But I think the game can be cheapened. And right now, I think we're sort of teetering on that being a possibility. So it's, you know, in charge, it's, it's in the responsibility of those in charge to get it right. The example I'll use across sports is like the NFL figured out a long time ago that more passing, more scoring was good for the game, more fantasy football interest, more exciting football games on TV, et cetera. The NBA figured out, I think sort of through the Golden State Warriors, that this barrage of three-point shooting and, and all that comes with it is makes for a more aesthetically pleasing game. Like there's so much beauty in what the Golden State Warriors do. Right now, math, which is the driving forces behind both of those two things, has made baseball much less interesting and much less fun because if you're going to go to a baseball game on any given day, you're probably going to see six or seven different pitchers. The game's going to take three hours and 10 minutes. It's going to be four to two, and you're going to go three or four minutes between seeing balls put in play. Um, like Alexander Cartwright is rolling over in his grave if he knew that was happening right now. Mm, yeah. um, I mean, he invented baseball when the guys were, you know, they had their, they were standing up there with a bat with a split grip and just putting the ball in play. And that's the ethos of baseball. The fundamental skill in baseball is the batted ball. It's putting the ball in play. And that just doesn't happen now, uh, enough now for my liking. Sure, pitching is phenomenal. But we can still do things to, I think, flatten that curve a little bit. And I think that we should. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, based on what you're saying, I would think that you're probably in favor. You appreciate the universal DH and probably want to get rid of the shift as well. The shift has to go. Um, yeah. I think that for two reasons. One um, is obvious. It suppresses offense, and that's just a bad thing, right? So my opinion right. is that we should have two infielders on each side of second base, and their spike should be in the dirt when the ball is released out of the pitcher's hand. I think that will happen, and, and it should happen soon. There's a second part of that, though, that I find really interesting, and it's the visual element of it. So if you're whether you're either in the stadium or watching on TV, there's something beautiful about showing up at the ballpark or that, you know, sort of aerial view of the infield where you see these, you know, eight players sort of plus the pitcher, like just sort of fanned out perfectly, like sort of equidistant from each other. And, and, and sort of, you know, at least traditionally, and there's something glorious about you know, the specs of people in those spots, especially when you're sitting up in the 400 level and you see like, oh yeah, that's where they're all supposed to go. <laughs> that's part of baseball's inherent beauty. When you see Manny Machado, the third baseman, throwing someone out from right center field, that's visually jarring. That's ugly to me. And just because they're allowed to do it doesn't mean I should like that they do it. Sure, if I was running the team, I would have my third baseman with a cannon playing right center field. But this isn't slow pitch softball. This is baseball. Like, like, and if they were, if this was a, if shifting was a thing 150 years ago, like that would have been a rule then. They just, you know, we have to sort of adapt, right? We can create a bill of rights here. So, in my judgment, the shift absolutely has to go. Um, I actually favored the National League brand of baseball, but I'm willing to acknowledge that pitchers hitting just like no one was coming to the game for that purpose. And so I think five years from now, we'll forget that that ever happened. The one thing that you're going to have a tough time bringing me over on, though, is the electronic strike zone. I'm a mm -hmm. big fan of the relationship yeah. between the umpire, the pitcher, yep. the catcher and the manager. And to me, if you get rid of that sort of interpersonal uh, play, baseball becomes much too, for lack of a better term, robotic. I think there's something uh, kind of inherently nice about the umpire being the villain, right? Being the guy that you can sort of uh, rally <laughs> mm. against, right? And that's a role that yeah. they play and they're well compensated for it. I think that's a valuable thing. I think there's a valuable thing in catcher pitch framing and pitchers mm. nibbling to see how much they can get away with. 
and, and a, an experienced hitter like Joey Votto getting that call on that, on that pitch that's right on the black, even though, like, you know, for the most part, you, you know, any rookie would be rung up on the same thing. And then the manager chirping at the umpire mid-inning or between innings to try and give his team any sort of two or three pitch advantage, you know, over the next nine innings, whatever. I think that's a dynamic that I'm not willing to lose, or at least if I'm going to lose it, I need to be convinced without a shadow of a doubt that it works in the minor leagues and that all that interpersonal stuff I'm not missing. But to me, like baseball is not going to be improved by making it smarter, for lack of a better term. In what way have has all this stat cast information and has um, all of the shifting and has all of the math made baseball better? I mean, it's made baseball smarter, but those aren't equal. Like to me, like there's some sort of blissful ignorance about how baseball used to be played before we knew that you shouldn't make you know, allow your pitcher to throw 130 pitches, right? Like we can we can keep some of that stuff. Baseball is meant to be enjoyed serves mm-hmm. no other purpose i think aaron wants to say amen to that that's yeah us. i do i i say amen to all of that <laughs> Listen, I, you need it you need a villain yeah i'm also the guy just for reference and for the listeners who may not know i am the guy that sits up in the 500 level next to johnny and i've got my folder and my score sheet and i'm like can't i love it i, I just love baseball so yes. i appreciate your uh your uh, I love it yeah your thoughts on all that and from up there, just like you said, I mean, we were just at a Reds game on Saturday yeah. and just the shift. I was just like, I hate this. <laughs> and what exactly what you were saying visually, it was just I had to remind myself that they were actually in the right position because it just felt wrong. I know the game, so I know they're in the right spot for the hitter and they're where they're supposed to be. It just felt so incorrect for that. And, you know, it's exactly what you said. It, the game's going to last at least three three hours and 10 minutes. I think ours lasted three and a half, three forty. just it, you know, and football lasts really, really long too, but you don't have these big gaps in between like you're saying. And there's things like getting the ball in play. That's Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that like one thing that you said that I love that because, you know, as fun as home runs are getting rid of things like the shift would be great because it just allows the ball to be in play more and like effectively in play. Uh Uh-huh. I'm all for home runs, but the trade-off now is, isn't worth it. It was in the, in the late 90s when all the guys were juicing. But it, the, the trade-off now with all the strikeouts doesn't make it worth it. I mean, the home run is still the, obviously the biggest swing that you can have um, and determinant, offensive determinant of whether or not you're going to win the game. But as far as the aesthetics are concerned, the enjoyment of the game is concerned, you, have to, you strike out too much to, to justify the, the difference between the two. If you're going to hit 30 mm-hmm. home runs a season, you're probably going to strike out 150 times in that season too. And the math says the trade-off is worth it. But if you're sitting in the 500 level, great American, the trade-off says that it's not worth it. Given our talk of like baseball being meant to be enjoyed, sports being meant to be enjoyed and not just, you know, thought through, what are some of the moments that you can go back to in your life that like were formative as far as like your like enjoyment of sports, like even like, I want to make this my career. Like what are some of those moments you pull back, uh, you know, go back to? Well, I think a lot of my, uh, a lot of that was just fueled by my playing. Um, sure. I mean, I was a reasonably good baseball player, as has been established. I was a bad basketball <laughs> player and a bad golfer and a bad soccer player, but I always enjoyed playing sports. So more than anything, that probably informed my, you know, present day career. Um, I grew up at a time in which, like, Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio was just like on one, and I like consumed that hours and hours endlessly every single day mm. so i would say like that experience definitely fueled it and i would say the phillies getting really good when i was you know 16 17 years old went a long way too like baseball will never be that magical for me again you know for, for to, to use that to use that phrase i mean like there was there was no better experience i had than 
like running around like a lunatic on Broad Street after the Phillies won the World Series in 2008. <laughs> I actually flew home from Cedarville University that night for the parade, believe it or not, nice. and made it like an hour before the hour before the game ended. Like I remember, you know, I'll remember that forever. When the Eagles won the championship in 2017, I was an ESPN employee. Uh, I consumed that. I watched the game in Connecticut. Um, it was awesome, but like it wasn't quite like that. And then I went down to Disney World actually the next day just by chance, and Nick Foles was there, and he was you know, on the float. Like those are those were wonderful things. But what I would tell parents, which I'll be someday, and 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 any other any number of other young people that might be listening, like enjoy sports as much as you can while you're young, because there is absolutely no guarantee that it'll ever feel that way again. Like that's perhaps my I wouldn't say deterioration as a fan but I definitely don't consume sports the same way that I used to is in part because of my job. Right. It's also just because like, it's not, it's not magical anymore. It's not mythical anymore. It's in part because I, I have so much, um, I have like a database of knowledge now and an endless supply of information. Right. So like, I, I'm not like, I, I can't, you can you watch the game with a more critical eye through a more critical lens, but like you also evolve throughout your life and, and your tastes might, you know, you, you know, I used to like, like punk rock music more than anything else in the world. Now I only listen to it on a peloton, right? The same goes for sports. Like I might wind up spending the second half of my life as just a casual sports fan. I mean, I don't know. I mean, right now I still love sports or at least love what I do. And I, you know, I enjoy watching my team play as often as I can, but I would tell young people enjoy sports as much as you can. So long as your brain is telling you that this is something you love, because like you might lose it and you might never get, you know, get it back again. And it's also something that I tell young people when they ask about working in sports, I say, just be prepared. There's a chance that what was once your favorite thing in the world, something that you connected with leisure, once it becomes your job, it just changes forever. It doesn't make it worse, but it just makes it different. And if you don't want mm-hmm. your fandom to change at all, you should you should consider you know doing something else. And and then when you get home at night after work, that's when you watch the games and you can yell at your TV. Because I definitely don't do that anymore. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, the kind of the thing that sticks out to me is the O2 Ohio State National Championship. Or, yeah, against Miami. That was just I was like five years old. Five year old Aaron thought Ohio State would never lose because they went like they were the first team ever to go fourteen and zero. I was like, this is amazing. Like the school that my parents went to, they never lose. Like man, that's sweet. And then Wisconsin next year, and then kicked her butt. And then that kind of put me back in reality. But I agree. Like that's. But it was like so. Imagine you remember yeah. where you were when you oh, watched yeah. that game. Like you, yep. you were, you, know, you were a kid at the time. Like that's that. Like sports has that quality. Like, like there are very few things in life where like you can sort of chronicle the passage of time based upon where you were or how you consumed something or how you remember something you saw on TV. Right? Like that's like the like oh, yeah. moon landing for older people. But you can remember individual games, individual plays from games, yes. and you don't remember anything else that happened in your life that year. Right? So that's, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's very true. Something that only sports can say. Like I don't remember where I was when I watched 60 minutes when I was nine or, or, or watched anything else. But like, I can tell you exactly where I was when I saw Chase Utley hit a grand slam the first mm-hmm. time he batted. Like, that's crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, but sports is sort of powerful in that sense. And like, that's something that's sacred. So if you're a fan, I always tell people to hang on to it as long as you have it. Mm, that's good. All right, we do need to let you go, but before we do, you're very well known for your sports trivia. You ask someone, as, as we mentioned in the intro, you try to stump someone, and so uh, probably the easiest task you've had all day is to try to stump us with a trivia question. So we're going to try collectively, the three of us, to hopefully <laughs> oh, no. get one right if, you have a, if you've got a trivia question for us. Uh, no, you're not. You're each going to answer a trivia question. Oh, okay. I love um, it. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, ha- I, 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 love I don't it. have anything formally prepared, but I'm just, I'm just going to tee you up one at a time. Yeah, I'm going to ask no. you to pick a sport. Once that sport is taken, you you don't have the ch- like you can't. Like, I'm not going to give you three NFL questions, for example. But Aaron, yeah, yeah. you're going to go first. Okay. And you're I'm going to ask you a trivia question. 
Based upon your background, I'm going to let you choose anything except college football because I want to give you a big challenge. All right, my baseball question for you is this. Which player had the most 60 home run seasons in Major League history? There's a player in Major League history that had three 60 home run seasons. Who was that player? So Johnny and I were at the Reds game, and we got the scoreboard semper horribly wrong, so I'm not feeling super confident. But so (laughs) Barry Bonds comes to mind simply because he has the most home runs in Major League history. But then there's also, you know, that era of Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. But I'm guessing it's one of your trivia questions, so that means it's none of the above. Uh, but for because my knowledge is not super super good, I'm gonna go. Oh goodness. Um, I'm you know I'm gonna go way off script and I'm gonna say Hank Aaron. Henry Aaron is incorrect. Oh. Henry Aaron, who very famously never hit 50 home runs in a season. Oh well, there so you go. So you talked your you talked yourself <laughs> out of the correct answer. Oh no! You, like, uh, was it? Oh, you literally did the thing. Classic. You literally, you literally did the thing that. Everyone does, and I've known you for <laughs> 28 minutes. The correct answer is Sammy Sosa. Okay. Sammy Sosa uh, hit 60 home runs in a season three times. What an okay. absolutely horrific display of guessing that was. All right, yep, John, yep, uh, what, what sport <laughs> do you want? I'll, I'll take college football. I'll take college football. Okay, so let, let me make sure that – because you guys are both Ohio guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I, I – I, and I was conceptualizing – like when I was thinking about what I might ask you guys, I was thinking to myself, like, there's no way they won't get this right. So I'll ask oh, you no. this question. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Right. Oh, no. And, if, and if you get it right right away, <laughs> follow up. Okay. Who's the only player to win two Heisman trophies? Oh, okay. Oh, Archie Griffin. Okay. okay. Well, that's fair enough. That's, that's, so that was your layup. I should you give my, my uh, fandom card in if I don't get fair that enough. one growing up in Ohio. <laughs> you guys, you have six, 614 area code, I'm sure. Yep. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, you, you, you passed your college football test. Real quick, took another sport, and soccer. we'll see how you do it. Uh, <laughs> who's no. Okay, fine. Uh, I can ask you a soccer question. Who's the only player to score a goal in three different World Cups? Three different World Cups. Uh, would that be? Oh, I want to. Oh, it's gotta. It's gotta be uh, Ronaldo. That is incorrect. The correct answer is Pele. Pele scored. Yes, oh. he's the only player. He's the only player to score a goal in three different World Cups and also the only player to win three World Cups. So Seemed look, too got, obvious. I feel. <laughs> sneaky handball. You got, so you got the, your college football uh, gimme uh, yeah. correct. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Pele, only probably the most famous athlete of all yes. time. So I would say that you guys are so far at best over two, maybe with a foul out. Josh, yeah. the last mm-hmm. question is for you. What, uh, what sport? What sport that has not yet been? Yeah, we're going to have a great time. So here's the exposing part about my story. (laughs) Uh, My degree from Cedarville was in biblical studies. Uh, My current degree that I'm working on is a master in theology. Uh, My sports knowledge comes from being roommates with Aaron exclusively. So I'll say pick whatever sport you want because I'm not going to get it regardless. (laughs) I will say uh, I know the NFL has not been chosen yet. So you you can give me an NFL question. I'll get it just as right as any other sport. No, no, like, I, I will swim in your water, my friend. You sound like I a guess. really, really good time. You, you look like the Cedarville University Code of Conduct. Oh, so, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> final resting place. The name of the final resting place for Noah's Ark. Ah, uh, yes. There you go. Thank you. Uh, that's going to be, uh, I mean, the traditional spot, uh, I believe, is Mount Ararat. 
Mount Ararat is correct. Well yes. done. <laughs> Josh is the only one to get cool. an answer correct. I love well that. Well done. Hey, good. Oh, I'll man. be your pinch hitter. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, today's, today's question on Get Up was, uh, you asked who the most recent New York Knicks guard to win an All-Star game, and I oh, got yeah. that one wrong as well. I my, Partially because my fandom didn't go back to 2001, the answer was Alan Houston. I, I think in my yeah. head I said Stefan Marbury, which was clearly not correct. So I'm really like 0 for 4 today, but that's okay. You're, you're just having a bad day. Yeah, uh, and Josh, right. maybe next time I'll be able to pull out something from the New Testament. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you being on the show so much. Thank you for your time. We appreciate all of your insight. And again, we also just appreciate all the work that you do on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can people find you outside of just being on TV? And uh, is there social media uh, that people should follow you on? Yeah, Google me. No, there you I'm kidding. Go. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you, can find me on, you can find me on Twitter at, at uh, Paul Hembo. Um, that's primarily where I do all of my, my damage. Um, so I appreciate you guys uh, letting me on, having some fun with, with sneaky hambo time. It was a blast. Hopefully we can do it again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it a lot. Later, yeah. man.